Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy the podcast you all care about week. The podcast you all care about is indicated by the numbers for years now, the Syracuse football season preview, 2018 edition. Dan, I am excited. I am filled with dread in other ways, if only because any nights and weekends that I thought I had to myself, I no longer do until November. Nonetheless, happy to be here and, and happy to talk Syracuse football once again, hopefully ending on a, on a more positive note than, than what we've seen the last few seasons now. Yep. I mean, in worst case scenario, we still have two months till November, so those should be fine. <laughs> well, yeah, the, the, September, October, I feel, and, and this is probably a good place to start. September and October have been solid-ish months for, for the Dino Babers era. Uh, Syracuse has managed to go 8-8 eight and eight in those two months uh, since he took over, which 500 ball, that sounds great. But unfortunately, 0-8 oh um, in the month of November since he took over, and that has uh, you know, been kind of the tail of the tape of how we get to back-to-back 4-8 and eight seasons, um, obviously tacking those on to the end of a 4-8 and eight season um, in Scott Schaefer's final season. So very much a struggle in November, but... Um, I'm not going to attribute those to Babers as much as I'm going to attribute those to the injuries that Syracuse has suffered, most notably to Eric Dungy, but also uh, to a variety of other players. I know I've mentioned uh, Jordan Martin's injury last year quite a bit. Um, remember that Kendall Coleman was hurt for much of the second, probably two, well, the last two thirds of, of last year. Uh, we were short on the defensive line. We were short in the secondary. Um, so there's, there's plenty more to blame besides just a Dungy injury, but injuries definitely noteworthy for uh, you, you know, th- these November struggles for the Iron so far. Yeah, I mean, it all starts with Eric Dungy. He's been the best player on the team for much of his run at Syracuse. Um, and the fact that he just hasn't, I mean, has he played in, uh, in a November game yet? Yes. He played, he played like the first quarter of that Clemson game a couple years ago. Right, okay. And then, and then did not return. Yeah, so basically, like, you can pin it. It's very easy to just say this all about Dungy, but you know, quarterback is the quote unquote most important position in sports. And while we've had some interesting pieces behind him before, um, most notably Zach Mahoney, who I think we all love and respect for what he did for for you know his entire time at SU, um, it wasn't the same as having Dungy there, who's just such a dynamic playmaker and really makes the offense work. Uh, so hopefully, everything this year starts with getting 12 games from Eric Dungy. Hopefully, you know, maybe 13. From there, I think. We, we can start to uh, kind of unravel the rest of this mystery of getting back to bowl eligibility. But if Dungy plays a full season, I think we have a pretty good shot. If he doesn't, then obviously we're starting with quarterbacks. Then you have Tommy DeVito, who uh, by all accounts looks really good, looks like the player that we that we got very excited about when he was a recruit. But overall, I want I want the DeVito time to be in garbage time uh, in a couple games this year, hopefully more than a couple games, and not you know thrusting him into where he has to play big minutes against uh, you know, these, the, the best defenses in the ACC if we can avoid it. Yeah, I mean, I'm really excited about DeVito. I, I think that, that he's somebody who is going to play minutes this year. Um, the fact that he's been practicing with, with the first team is, I think, a great sign for him um, and Syracuse's future, as well as the future under Dino Babers. Like, we're, we're going to see him this year, so I think fans that are clamoring to see more of him are going to get plenty of that. But yeah, this is Dungy's team until injuries force it not to be. Uh, I, I think because I don't see him regressing in such a way this year that that would have him forfeit the job. No, I think I think obviously we've seen that Babers is like unwilling to name a starting quarterback 
which is kind of silly, but that's like, I mean, you look across college football right now, um, coaches, some, the coaches of the actual Herbert battles are just starting to do that now. Right. I get, I get Baber is not doing it just from a motivational standpoint, although I don't think Dungy is really a guy who's needed that. But also, I think you can afford to have a guy like DeVito take first team snaps, um, A, because we have, you know, a couple workable games here early, but also because Dungy has been in the system now going on three years. Um, I think it's less, obviously we have like a big change in the defense, but offensively I think we kind of know what we are right now. So you can afford to kind of bring De- uh, DeVito along and, and start to, to get him prepped for 2019 um, without worrying too much about Dungy not getting not getting the snaps. And, and, and hopefully, you know, the, the work that Dungy's put in with the receivers outside of like the actual practice reps um, can go a long way in terms of developing the chemistry, which is which is a big concern, I think. It's probably the... The number one concern right now uh, for all of us is replacing the star receivers that we lose from last year. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good segue here. But I will say, just before we like jump fully into receivers, like I do think that it's a it's a better sign for the receivers than Dino Babers is letting on that he's able to insert Devito for this extended amount of time in camp. Because to me, like if I'm breaking in a whole bunch of really young receivers and guys who are unproven out wide. I might want my, my first team quarterback to be in there as much as possible. So the fact that he is allowing like DeVito to get those meaningful snaps in practice means that maybe, and, and this is based on nothing but, but just a hunch on my end, maybe these receivers are a little bit further along than, uh, than, than he's said thus far. It's possible. I mean, Dino isn't really one to play up things. Like He's a, he's a relatively excitable as far as college football coaches go, which is, um, a pretty low bar generally, but he's not like, I don't know, he's not really like a, a huge pom-pom waiver in terms of his own players. He's not demeaning, and he's not like, you know, a, a hard-ass really, but he's like, he's pretty neutral. He plays it really even keel when you ask him about these players. Even a guy like Dungy, who you could, you know, rave forever about, he, he seems to be all about um, letting them prove it on the field before he gets, like, talks someone up. So the fact that our, our media hasn't been given um, a ton of access to this uh, this camp, which I, I think we both have feelings about, as coming from this end of things, but yep. overall, it's hard to really judge like a lack of excitement about things coming from from what we hear from Stephen Bailey and Chris Carlson and company as saying like, oh, everyone's like not ready because they only get to see what like ten minutes a day of practice. So you know, it's it's hard to when when Babers isn't letting on a lot, um, and you know the players are pretty well media. The ones who talk to the media a lot are pretty well media trained and the media themselves don't get to see a lot of practice, like, it's hard to really know what is going on. But the fact that DeVito continues to get first-team reps, I, I agree. It's, it shows that Bamers is pretty comfortable where he's at. And it's not like, you know, I don't think any of us think he's really coaching for his job, but it's not like he doesn't have, like, you know, he needs to win soon. It's not like he can just, like, rest on his laurels this season. So the fact that he's, he's totally cool giving DeVito a pretty decent chunk of these first-team reps means it should mean that he's pretty comfortable with the situation overall. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that, that that's something undercovered in, in terms of how the practices have gone and, and, and under, you know, just discussed. I don't think it's been underreported, if only because, as you alluded to, like there's really not much to report. Um, even even the, the updates that Syracuse sends out themselves to, uh, to fans and media um, are, are pretty sparse and are more based on ticket sales than they are actual practice updates. So I'm not... I, I wouldn't hold any any you know local journalist uh, accountable for that. I think it's more just you know l- looking at it realistically. Like if I was a head coach and if I was worried about my receivers, yeah, I, I would have my top quarterback in there as much as possible to gain that rapport. So again, conjecture maybe, but 
uh, I, I'll choose to be more optimistic about these receivers until they prove um, otherwise to me. Yeah, it's kind of an educated guess, but I feel like we'd have more of a sense of this being like a real struggle where we just haven't heard much in either direction. So hopefully that's what it is. Um, we'll find out soon because like even even if we go out and beat Western Michigan, like it'll be pretty apparent if our receivers aren't like aren't there in the first couple games, even if there's a talent discrepancy, because like you just just route running and, and catching the ball and like having that chemistry with Dungey will be pretty evident, I think, even if. Even if there is like that that obvious divide between an ACC team and a MAC team early on, oh no doubt. Um, so yeah, talking about the receivers specifically this year, um, you know Devin Butler is your leading returning receiver. Ravian Pierce is another option. Sean Riley caught a few passes last year, as did Nikeem Johnson. Everybody else is incredibly green. Dan, who who do you think is your your kind of breakout option? Do you think it's Pierce or uh, Butler? Do you or do you think it, it's it's someone else out there? Um, who could potentially jump in and, and make like, you know, an Amba Etatawo type leap into the stratosphere, basically coming from, you know, a, a, a neutral starting point at best. Uh, I don't see a, I don't see an Amba type move just because that was <laughs> so ridiculous. And even with like Ishmael had a great year last year, we knew he was, we knew he, what he was like, right. we knew he had, the, he had the ability to be something like that. Yeah. I mean, I think that the two guys you outlined, Butler and Custis are the two that will be, you know, targeting, obviously, Custis is one of the better red zone targets of the team last year. He scored four touchdowns. Um, Butler has probably the most experience by a bit of the rest of the group. Um, overall, it's just hard to really know because we have such an array of different types of players here. Sean Riley had some nice moments last year. He's a smaller guy. Um, I think we liked it the ball in his hands, but he, he had drop issues, as did Devin Butler. Um, Once Riley dropped that pass against LSU, I felt like his entire like receiving game just got completely derailed. It kind of felt like that because, I mean, let me pull up his game log. Like, he was a pretty, like, he was out there a lot. The CMU game, he had, didn't he have, like, 170 total yards or something? Like He had four, he had, so he had a touchdown Central, and then he didn't have anything against Middle Tennessee, and then he had four touchdowns in Central Michigan. Like, he was a big factor in that game, and then ran the ball four times, according to the stat book. And then he didn't get an offensive touch again until at Louisville, the last, second to last game of the season, when he had a 23-yard catch, then he had two catches against BC. So, yeah, he was like, I mean, there was something, he was totally part of the game plan. And I don't know what happened in that LSU game that, that completely derailed him, but from there he was almost, he was an offer for, from, you know, September 23rd all the way down to November 18th, almost two full months. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't see that happening again, if only because, like, I, I think the slot receivers look different this year, um, just because, like, you know, last year, or Phillips was, was getting pretty much every target inside, just like he was the previous season. I think this year, uh, you might see a couple different guys in there. I think Sean Riley's one. Obviously, Jamal Custis has been lining up inside um, to kind of try to exploit some mismatches and create like a, a pseudo two tight end set uh, with Ravian Pierce. So I, I think that's going to be something interesting. So you're going to see the inside receivers used a little bit differently. Um, another guy who I thought was going to be inside, it looks like he's going to be outside this year, is uh, Nikeem Johnson, who... You know, I really love what we saw from him last year in limited touches. He's got a hell of a lot of speed. Um, if you get him loose on the outside, he doesn't really have any size. He's 5'8", uh, about 175. Like, so he's not going to be able to battle guys the way that Edatawo did, the way Ishmael did. Um, but he, he has some potential for us to, you know, maybe run some end arounds. Um, you know, maybe not target as many deep balls, um, you know, outside. But at the same time, like... 
having somebody with his kind of speed does give you other options there. I'm I'm intrigued most by him, and I actually think if anyone is going to be able to burst onto the scene, like I think Butler can reasonably catch 40 to 50 passes um, no matter what he does. I think Johnson's going to be the guy who you look at the stat book at the end of the year, and he's going to be, and he could potentially have, you know, 50 catches, but like 50 catches for some really, really big plays. Yeah, he definitely showed some things last year. Um, and and obviously we're, we're looking for someone to step in. I mean, he's not as big as Irv, but we're looking for someone to step into that role where you can get like the ball in their hands consistently. I don't think he's quite the same player, but like it, it seems like that was such a huge part of our offense the last two years with, with Irv in the slot, and he got so much better over the course of his career at receiver. It just, like, obviously Dungey was very comfortable with that, and you, you hope that someone can kind of replicate that. And there's no obvious, there's no, like, super obvious guy. Maybe, Charlie, if, like, who, who, who projects, like, size-wise most similar to Irv? Obviously, that's not uh, the best. Similar to Irv, your best. Maybe Sherrod Johnson? It's Yeah, it's probably, yeah, Sherrod Johnson is, is probably your, your best comparison. Um, a lot of these other guys are, are all more similar, at least the scholarship guys, um, are more similar to, to, to Ishmael types. Yeah, the top, Russell Thomas Bishop and uh, Cameron Jordan are both on the bigger side. Um, Ed Hendricks, the freshman, who was one of our better recruits this year, who I feel like we haven't heard, again, this is like comes down, a lot of it's just like exposure, but like we haven't heard a lot about him. This, this year he was like a, a borderline 34-star guy. I, I wouldn't be shocked if he made an impact just because like someone has to. And I think Babers will, will give every opportunity to everyone, you know, on scholarship here. So that I mean that would be exciting. Although again, we haven't like there hasn't been a ton mentioned about him. I feel like in general too, though, like Babers does like to shield the freshmen unless unless they're they're really contending for a starting job. And I think like Hendricks is one guy who could potentially be in that mix. I think that to be honest, that the best slot comparison might be, uh, you know, future New England Patriot Cooper Lutz. <laughs> Because like six foot one ninety seems seems like he's kind of in that Irv mold. He's a former running yeah. back, so he's got that going for him as well. It's really hard to tell until you see someone get out there and just do and just constantly get open like Irv was able to. Um, he reminds me. I hope he's able to catch in the NFL. He he really reminds me of current uh, HBO star Jarvis Landry in that like it just seemed like he was always an outlet and he didn't like have the, the the giant broken you know long runs I mean he only averaged he only ended up averaging 10.2 yards per per catch uh, so there wasn't like a ton going on after the catch but he he was just always there and was such an outlet for Dungy so it'd be a shame if we don't have someone kind of step in there but this is such a different group than what we've had the last two years that it might not be it might not be that easy to just plug guys in and say you're the you're the Ishmael slash the Amba and you're the Irv but that might not be realistic guys to begin with just because we've had such unique talents the last two years in those spots. Yeah, and you and I have talked about this a little bit in previous episodes, too. It might actually benefit Dungy a little bit more to have, you know, four to six, like, reliable options and spread the ball around a little bit more instead of having, like, a couple 90-catch guys. Dan, if you're looking at all of these receivers, and obviously we have a ton of them, we didn't even mention all of them yet, which, I'd say, give me the two freshmen, and so true freshmen or, or redshirt freshmen, who you think could potentially, you know, see some time this year. Uh, so I brought up Hendricks just because he was... Uh, such a, yeah. yeah, he was just the really highly rated guy, and and you feel like he's gonna have like like we see what's going on in the defense, and you're seeing guys break the 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 one and two deep already for, as true freshmen. Like there's there's that willingness to have those guys step in if they're the best player available. So I'll have him there, and then I think one of Cameron Jordan and Russell Thompson Bishop will make an impact. 
just because we want more of those those the larger guys who uh, have come in the last couple of years. I think it just makes sense for one of those two to uh, to complement the guys, the, the smaller guys that we already have, and give us a little more on the outside. Yeah, I buy that. I mean, Cam Jordan six three two zero three, RTB six one two seventeen. These are guys who, who are going to possess that size that we really need. Uh, Russell Thompson Bishop already has a great rapport with DeVito. Um, I don't know what his rapport with Dungey looks like, but I, I think if we're looking future-wise, I'd love to see Thompson Bishop out there a little bit this year because then next year, you know, when, when DeVito's getting those initial, like, starting snaps, you know, if, if he's got a familiar target out there, uh, we could see some early fireworks. Yep, and with how, how often we go, you know, four wide and, and how – you know, questionable the the running back situation is. Although I I think we're going to be a little more bullish on it this year with the offensive line. Like hopefully we'll just see a lot of these these guys out there and and they'll all get their chance, especially early on this year. Yeah, completely. And I mean, said not to jump ahead to next year, but I know another guy that you know you don't want to lose sight of is Tristan Jackson. Like I wish he could yeah, play this year because it would be, be so helpful. Have, yeah, I feel like we've heard more about him the last couple last like two weeks than we've heard about a lot of the guys who will be playing this year. But uh, it sounds like he'll make an impact. I mean, he's one of the, the couple different transfers we have that have uh, power five experience that should make an impact. Agreed. Uh, pivoting over to another one of those. Um, over the running back position, I'd say the best running back, no slight to the current guys, is Abdul Adams, the uh, former Oklahoma I want, Sooner. I want to see him play so bad. I mean, isn't he, <laughs> is he the career, I think I, I tweeted this out like a while back, but he was like the career leader in yards per carry for the Sooners. Yeah, it's possible. He averaged 9.2 yards a carry. So I imagine if you have any kind of like decent minimum rushing attempt uh, margin there, then yeah, he would be. The dude is, is so explosive. Don't look up. I mean, I think we brought it up when he transferred, but I, mean, I probably watched the, the, he had what, 95 yard touchdown last year mm-hmm. that uh, I think it was against Kansas. So like, you know, take it for a grain of salt, but um, I might be wrong on where, who it was against, but either way, like absolutely dynamite through the whole and, and we said last week, I think, like, he would have gotten playing time. Uh, oh, no, I don't know if I was on this podcast or if I was just talking to someone in real life, but <laughs> he would have been a part of that Oklahoma rotation. Um, I don't know that he would have ever been, like, the guy there, but he, it wasn't like he was, like, overmatched by, by that depth chart. He just clearly wants to be, like, the RB1, um, the bell cow, and luckily we, we ended up being the, the landing spot for him. Unfortunately, it won't be until next year, but I think he will still have junior eligibility, so we'll get hopefully two years out of him. And if it's one year, hopefully it's a hell of a year and he's going to the NFL because like his his uh, his talent's really legit, and I'm very excited for that next year. Yeah, I think Adam's going to be a stud next year. But in the meantime, uh, we do have some quality running backs in the roster. Mo Neal and Dante Strickland have kind of been interchangeable. Strickland has started um, in part because he's a little bit bigger, in part because... Um, he is one of the best blockers on the team. He's able to call out defenses, which is a key role for running back in Dino Baber's system. I think Strickland's going to start again. It looks like he was back healthy this week after uh, a little getting a little bit dinged up in early August. Um, him and Neil probably split time. I know besides the two of them, like Marquenzie Pierre got some limited carries last year, um, and, and it seems like he'll be back doing that again. Maybe we end up with him as more of a third down back this year, which could be interesting. He's 5'11", 216, like... Probably the size we're looking for in the middle if we're not going to get, you know, as, as many reps from Chris Elmore, who seems like he's going to play more on the defensive side. Uh, Jarvin Howard uh, is another guy who's over 200 pounds, um, and he's actually uh, one of our freshmen from Mississippi. 
definitely uh, a name to watch if for some reason like we're just looking to mix it up um, inside. I'm actually, I know we don't want to burn like shirts. It's a little bit easier to avoid burning quote unquote shirts now uh, with the new red shirt rule. So I, I think to be honest, like in, in the Wagner game, I think we're going to see a lot of these guys um, and it's going to help Dino at least dictate like which, which freshmen you're going to save up and which freshmen um, are going to have a chance to compete and really see the field a ton this year. I really would not be shocked if Jarvie and Howard had a pretty big role in this team. And like, obviously you want to redshirt guys uh, ideally and you want to build depth that way. But if he comes in and he's one of the two or three best running backs and he proves it and didn't see the lesser opponents early on, I, I really, I would not mind giving him a decent chunk of the carries this year because he is very, very explosive um, he was one of the better recruits this year, and like we just don't have, we just haven't had that that you know game breaking ability. Obviously, Mo Neal has a lot of speed, and he's a very exciting ball carrier, but he can get eaten up in the line a bit, and he you know blocking is a bit of an issue given the size. Howard, I think, has a really nice blend of size and speed, and it would not, it wouldn't shock me at all if he ends up having a pretty big role. Um, I think Neal and uh, Strickland will both play. A good amount, no matter what. I think they're just it's the experience there and the familiarity with the uh, with the program really helps. And, and Strickland obviously is the veteran, and he has the the blocking assignments pretty well down, and that's big, especially given the offensive line struggles of the last couple of years. But I think Howard might be one of the surprise early contributors this year, especially because I feel like we've heard again going back to like who Babers will actually mention. Like I feel like we've heard more about Howard the last couple of days than we've heard about a lot of guys. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, he's been referred to as, like, a truck and a rock and all this other stuff. Like, I, I feel like it's good to hear that about Howard. Uh, you hope that Marquenzie Pierre doesn't get necessarily lost in the shuffle here. Uh, but I think it's kind of early to, to be thinking about that. I really, what, what appealed to me, at least at the end of the last season, and I know that a lot of people have criticized certain parts of the run game and how it's a lot of up the middle stuff. As someone who was paying like very close attention to where all these runs were targeted, you did start to see a lot more off tackling around the end stuff for both Neil and and, uh, particularly Strickland last year. You started seeing them um, involve Dante Strickland and and Mo Neal more in the passing game last year. Those two players, you know, it's just Babers is very beholden to his system and that's fine. But unfortunately, like to this point, we haven't necessarily had guys who um, are perfect fits for, you know, kind of the run-up-the-middle style to, to pull the defense in um, mandate on this spread. So, have you know what, like using Neal and Strickland more on the outside and then, you know, giving guys like Howard and Pierre work inside because their they're size is a little bit better suited for it. Like, I don't really care how many running backs touch the ball. If they're going to use everybody effectively, like that could end up being um, a small tweak that, that gains some really positive results here, especially with, as you mentioned earlier, you know, a, a much better offensive line. Yeah, I, I think just overall, like, it's it's incredibly necessary for this team to somehow get something approaching, like, decent efficiency on the ground just because it's been so rough the last couple of years, and I think a lot of that is offensive line struggles. But it, it's just this team is never going to be at its best if we can't at least get, like, a reasonable, like, over four yards per carry. And we've been pretty far below that, I think especially if you take out Dungy's, like, random, you know, tuck-and-run situations where he's able to break them. So designed runs have just been such a such a poor part of this offense for a couple of years, and it'll be it'll be really nice if we can just get something approaching, like, mediocre. Yeah, I think that's going to be key, is I really want to see a... I really want to see a run game that doesn't necessarily rely on Dungy. He's obviously going to be involved. I want to see him involved, but um, I, I would much rather, you know, see one of these guys get involved. So... 
I, I, I have some hope, and, and a lot of that does rest on the offensive line, um, and I guess it's a good place to, to pivot here uh, as we near closer to halftime. Um, you've heard it before here. You've heard it before elsewhere. Um, Syracuse has a hell of a lot of experience, hell of a lot of talent on this offensive line. Um, Cody Conway, Aaron Roberts will start. Um, Evan Adams is a starter once again. Uh, we have Texas A&M transfer uh, Coda Martin in there. And then Aaron Cervais, it seems like he's going to come back as a starting center. We've mentioned his struggles here and there, but obviously, like, if he's been working on it all offseason, uh, there's potential that, you know, plugging him in there yields better results um, this season than it did the past one. Um, you also have, you know, experienced guys behind them that, you know, God forbid we see some injuries as we have in past seasons. Like, I, I for the first time since we joined the ACC, I like our ability to backfill on the offensive line and having so many guys and having a guy like Martin come in and understand the system because he came from a spread at Texas A&M, like all that together to me should mean like Dungey's staying upright more and he's running less. It should mean that the running backs are able to get more uh, between the tackles. And and while we don't want, you know, Dungey or any quarterback in, in this system taking too long to throw, they will have ample time to get longer throws out there that they just didn't last year um, when, when Dungey particularly was under siege immediately. And, and, you know, you, me, and everybody else saw that even in game one uh, where CCSU w- w- was getting pressure on Dungey, and that was uh, kind of a bad omen of, of what was to come. Yeah, the CCSU game was really disconcerting. Even a 50-7 to win, like, there was just enough there that you were like, okay, this is this is a bit scary. But then, like, the Clemson game, and Clemson, we just talked about last week, they have four uh, returning all-ACC players on the defensive line, I'd say at least two or three of whom are probably going to be first-round picks. Um, and I thought the offensive line handled themselves incredibly well in that game. It did. And it just, it yeah, I, I Dungeon got sacked a bunch, I think, but a, a lot of those were just, like, people weren't getting open and, you know, covered sacks and Dungeon getting himself in trouble a bit. But overall, like, you, you saw the flashes of what this offensive line can do, uh, and they just did not get, the, for, for a number of reasons, injury-wise, because there was just so so much rotation and movement because so many guys went in and out. And also, I don't know, I think just overall, once the quarterback change happened, I think it seemed like the offensive line struggles really got amplified with Mahoney in there, and I, part of that's just probably having a very different style of quarterback coming in. But... That Clemson game, like, sticks out for, obviously, because we beat Dan Clemson, which was incredible, but the offensive line especially, like, it acquitted itself so well against such a daunting opponent. You know it's in there somewhere. It doesn't happen by accident. So, obviously, we're not going to get, you know, the offensive line that, that beat the best offensive line in the country every week, but if they can stay healthy and if, or at least five of the seven guys can stay healthy and, and, and meld together, like, this could be a strength of the, of the team. I don't know if that's enough going to be, like, you know, one of the best offensive lines in the ACC, but if they're top six in the conference, I mean, that would just go a huge, a long way towards improving the run game, keeping Dungey uh, upright and, and keeping him from having to make his, like, mad dash scrambles uh, where he only gains four yards and takes shots in the head. Um, it would just be so huge, and I... I that's like the one sp- uh, space where I feel really confident that we have the pieces in place for it to happen. We obviously have a new offensive line coach, which is, which is exciting with a lot of uh, Power 5 experience, especially at Nebraska, which is, you know, a place where offensive linemen come from. So it, you really hope. Uh, I, I think we have uh, have the pieces in place here for the offensive line. Obviously, there are going to be struggles on, on certain weeks, especially, you know, I'm sure Clemson will be out for blood. But um, overall, like, I think the makings are there, and it should be 
at least like an above average unit for the full year, um, unless something really horrible happens injury wise. Yeah, I mean, you know, you alluded to it a little bit. Like that Clemson game was one of several, and you know, from the beginning of the second third of the season through to the end where, you know, the offensive line played extremely well. Like, they, they were scoring well. Players on the line were, were scoring among some of the better players in Power 5 uh, week in and week out. Like, and, and you take that and you add Roberts and you add um, Coda Martin to that. Like, to me, it, it's... I wouldn't say just completely disregard the, what happened in the early parts of last season, but I would say, like, focus more on what happened in the back half of the season and see how much they improved and see how much they were able to kind of play above their skill level and play against better defensive lines. They definitely improved over time. They definitely scored well. These are guys who who came together as the year wore on, and now you're going to see kind of that experience pay off uh, this season. So I, I would agree with you. I'm, I'm very, very excited from an offensive standpoint about what this line can do and about what it can do for, um, you know, again, the production of production and health of Dungey in particular. Yeah, I mean, it can't be overstated. Like, Aaron Roberts was really, really good a couple of years ago, before, and he obviously missed all of last year. And Toto Martin should be, I don't know if that he'll even be the best offensive lineman on the team, um, but he was a, a pretty quality starter for uh, for an SEC team that went 8-5. and five. Uh, So it just, we, we, have, we have seven pieces in here with a lot of experience, I think most of whom, if not all of whom, have had at least, like, good individual efforts. Uh, so it's just a matter of getting that cohesion. But luckily, like, Knock on wood, we've had some injuries this summer, but they haven't been... It doesn't seem like anyone's been hurt for more than a few days, even at a time. So it'd be nice if our injury luck finally turned uh, after however many years now. Um, and if that's the case, then we have this kind of depth and can can have a have a unit move forward throughout the season without having to worry about you know, crazy injuries or playing you know true redshirt freshman way before they're, they're, you know, they're uh, supposed to, which has been an issue in the offensive line for a couple of years for us now but it's hopefully kind of led to this kind of depth that we have. It could be a pretty special group and probably the best offensive line group that we've had since 2013. So let's hope. Uh, obviously, it's, it's easier easier said than, than done. And, you know, we're still trying to piece things together from a unit that did struggle for much of last year. But I think um, no other unit you can, like, there, there, there are a few other spots where you can kind of reliably say if a guy got playing time and has ability, like, they should improve year over year. Like they're they're just it's it's a offensive line seem to progress pretty steadily across the board uh, more so than a lot of other positions. Oh, completely. Um, I think that wraps it up for the offense at least at least for now. We might bring them up a little bit later on, but uh, wanted to take a little break for halftime. Then we can talk defense and go game by game. The uh, the most compelling radio you'll ever hear. So uh... just classic classic Mike Francesa <laughs> WFAN. <laughs> It's a staple of the genre, so we, we kind of have to. Absolutely. Uh, so, Dan, what have you been drinking? Uh, so, obviously, last week we talked about it a decent amount of weeks leading up, um, but we had an event over at Broken Bow Brewing, which uh, I was invited to uh, because of my involvement in this fine podcast product. And I had not had anything from Broken Bow before this, and it's up in Takahoe, New York. Spoke to some, some SU grads about Syracuse football and got a couple different beers. Um, and overall, like, Really, really solid beer game. I had tried their uh, Marbledale Pale Ale, which I have a growler of sitting in my fridge. Just a really strong pale ale. We were talking about it last week, so I feel like I, I had a couple different pale ales this week just to, to follow up that discussion. Um, and then I also had their uh, Broken Routines IPA, which is a series they're doing. This one with Mosaic and Amarillo Hops, which was really delicious. Really nice pro- uh, hop profile. 
and uh, their Broken Resolutions Triple IPA, which was pretty intense, uh, really deep flavors, um, 12% alcohol too, which was, uh, it was very apparent. And then while I was down the Jersey Shore over the weekend, I had a uh, Truesier IPA from Beach House Brewing, which was, which was solid, and then I had a couple different, uh, I had a couple of Carton Boat beers, which um, when you're in Jersey, I mean, you kind of have to, Carton Boat beers, just so phenomenal. So had a bunch of those. Did anyone ask you a Tulane question? Uh, I think Tulane jokes were made, but no one actually asked me a Tulane question <laughs> or bought me any Tulane merchandise. Very sad. Next time, I hope. What uh, what, what kind of Tulane jokes were out there? Just the uh, just the usual podcast just, mentions. Yeah, it was like clearly the like, you know, you talk about Tulane all the time, which is funny. So here is a joke about that. Ah, well, we we we, we have sticks. We have dedicated listeners. This is all good. On my end, uh, I went down to Beachwood Barbecue and Brewing, hadn't been there in a while, uh, had some, uh, one of their newer IPAs, their uh, Comet Chameleon, had uh, Melrose IPA, which is one of my favorites from them, tried out their uh, Hopler Effect Double IPA, uh, which was not hazy, I was a fan of, had a bottle of uh, Firestone Walker's Undercurrents uh, Wild Ale, was a Wild Ale Black Currants, and then also went to Firestone's uh, Venice Tasting Room. They may have mentioned in the past had um, Heart of the Universe, a, uh, a Modern Times collaboration, hazy IPA. Had a bread of tangerine, it was a tangerine wild ale, and then I also pursued myself some pale ales while I was there. Um, had their X One Pale, uh, it was super super drinkable, like just I think it was around five and a half percent, but delicious, crisp. Ended up getting myself a crowler of it. That's sitting in my fridge for this weekend. So. Dan, I feel like we're doing our part to get people aware of, of, the, of the excellent pale ale shortage and, and what we can do to fix it. Yes, we, we, are, we are spearheading the, the burgeoning pale ale movement here, <laughs> which I'm fine with. I, I, I am 100% about it. Um, moving on to the defense for the Syracuse Orange this season. We'll start with the line because, to be honest, I actually i am confident in the top four. I am horrified past that, not because I doubt the players, just because I doubt their inexperience. Yeah, like, I feel like our defensive line has been, I feel like we've had a, a depth issue for so long now. This entire and... time we've been in the ACC because we don't recruit players there well, and, oh, we lost an entire recruiting class in 2015, basically. Yeah, and it's a hard spot to recruit, especially interior, uh, on the interior. We've also, like, for a long time now, have been very, we've, we've, relied on JUCOs there, which is not a unique thing. It seems like defensive line is like one of those spots where you do have a lot of JUCOs available uh, because guys want to grow and, and develop that way, but also just like, it just seems like guys fall through the tracks uh, from the high school ranks, but eventually if you don't, if you aren't able to land like one or two JUCOs guys every year or if one or two of them don't work out, like it kind of becomes a, a, a real issue and that's kind of where we've been. I do think some of our better defensive players overall though, I think, I think our, our it might be our most talented group along the defense. It's just that the depth is, once again, uh, always an issue. But um, Coleman, Alton Robinson, Brandon Berry had some uh, nice moments last year. I, th- I think there's definitely some ability there, especially with, with those uh, the two uh, kind of disruptive sack guys. Robinson obviously really turned it on at the second, in the, the second half last year. But hopefully we keep on getting from there because like, I think our defensive backs are still – enough of a question mark where if we can really start to get some pressure and also we have to make up for the pressure that we lose from um, an experienced linebacking core. Uh, so it's pretty essential that the, these guys really dial it up. Yeah, I mean, we'll get to the four-two-five switch 
um, after this. I do think that this line is going to be more fun to watch. I think that the fact that they're healthy is great. Getting Kendall Coleman back at 100%, getting Josh Black back at 100%, like we haven't necessarily seen a ton of Kenneth Ruff yet. I really want to see McKinley Williams too, like playing nose tackle exclusively and like not having to worry about contending for snaps with uh, Kate and Samuels. Like we're going to, I think Williams is going to be a surprising disruptor this year, especially as teams focus so much on Chris Slayton, who is probably the defensive player most likely to end up in the NFL and could, and I know got some all ACC hype early in the season from some publications could end up surprising people. Um, Alton Robinson's my breakout pick for the defense, though. Like, despite really showing up, like, in August, he didn't seem to miss a beat last year and was able to log five and a half sacks. I could see him doubling that number perhaps this year, um, especially if team, if uh, if this defense is going to start freeing players up to make more plays and, and to disrupt more, um, you know, behind the line of scrimmage. I could see Robinson being used on the blitz more. He's a super athletic guy, uh, built more like a linebacker in some ways at 6'4", 249. So, like... He's a guy that I'm really excited to see more of and, and someone who I think is really going to have a big impact for us this year. I think between him and, and Slayton alone, you know, it's, it's not going to be like a top five, top seven group in the ACC just because of the talent um, at a lot of other programs. But I, I, I think that this is going to be the best defensive line that we've had for sure since we joined the uh, ACC. Yeah, it's a really athletic group. And it, uh, what I like about this group, uh, this, this top four at least, is you can get pass rushing from all four spots where – that's pretty rare, um, but I think I think the ability there is for Slayton and Williams to both be pretty disruptive on the inside from the defensive tackle spot. When you can get that inside pressure, it really alleviates a lot of the problems elsewhere. And they've been fantastic run stuffers, like Slayton in particular. Yeah. Like on, it's because there's no like other than tackles for loss, there's no like stat that necessarily like points to it. But like Slayton has been one of the better run stuffers, I would argue, in the conference over the last few years. Bill C's numbers actually kind of kind of bear that out. Like mm-hmm. if you look at his, our big like weird graph thing that he does, our, our best numbers are stuff rate, which uh, is relatively high, uh, our adjusted line yards, which is you know pretty good, and our uh, our standard down uh, SR plus uh, or S and P plus um, I think is is relatively good. We 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 get ourselves into good positions uh, stopping the run, especially early in downs. It's later on the explosive plays we give up, which is a problem. And giving up big chunks of plays, even when we like force a second ten or a second eleven, that is a problem. But our, our defensive line has put us in position to succeed. It's a matter of the rest of the defense kind of helping out from there. Completely. So I guess the rest of the defense includes these linebackers. Now, as we mentioned, there's a four-two-five switch. We talked about this a couple weeks ago um, when it was announced, and the new uh, depth chart came out. Dino says that the linebacker positions have not been solidified yet. Right now, at least from what we know, Keelan Whitner is going to start at the weak side, um, and then we'll have you know Ryan Guthrie in the middle linebacker position. You and I both talked about how the weak side position made sense uh, for Whitner, who's a former safety. In general, the linebackers are going to play more like defensive backs in the, in the Tampa two anyway. But uh, for Guthrie, a guy who was you know kind of made his bones in, in JUCO, being a like big tackle for loss guy and a sack artist, like was an interesting shift for him. Do you think that those two remain the starters, or do you think the camp kind of shakes things out a little bit differently? Uh, it seems like that's where things are going. Um, I think Andrew Armstrong is is going to get a lot of playing time no matter what. Um, I wouldn't be super shocked if Tim Walton had a role as a pass rusher. There, there, there's some talent down the road here, but we just have so few guys with experience that um, it makes sense for, for the two seniors to be plugged in there right now. 
but this this whole position, a because we're now using fewer of them, but also because there are so many unknowns. Like nothing would really shock me with who ends up being the the key players in the spot. Yeah, I, I have to agree there. I also wonder like what happens like if the four two five works this year. What do you do with the glut of underclassmen linebackers that we have on this team? <laughs> you can't necessarily just switch back to a four three if the four two five shows itself to actually be like super effective. Um. That's, it's an interesting problem. I think, you know, there's some guys you could probably try to size up to become, like, 245, 250-pound defensive ends. I think you could probably cross-train guys to play in that, that nickel spot, but, like, for more, kind of make it more of, like, a 4-2-5 over, uh, where the, that, the nickel spot is more of, like, a hybrid linebacker versus what we have now with Porty playing there, right. where it's very much a defensive back spot. I would agree. I, you don't want to shift your defense around every year, and obviously the 4-3, we saw we didn't try it. We tried it for two years, the or the Tampa 2, like the 4-3 edition of the Tampa 2. So, yeah, I, I think you would stick with it. It's just a matter of, uh, it would. I mean, I think you'll see some position changes, and I think you'll just try to alleviate it uh, through through recruiting, and I, I expect you would also see some guys transfer out with, like, the writing is on the wall where there's just not very much depth um, and not very many uh, opportunities for a lot of these guys, which isn't a, isn't a great thing, but if the defense works, I mean, you, you take that. Yeah, completely. I mean, I, I like when I'm looking at the roster, I'm looking specifically at like guys who size wise, like don't necessarily fit this. I mean, I guess, I mean, I think Armstrong is a, is a great middle linebacker option, but he's already a junior. You know, you got Lockheed Williams, uh, Juco transfer came in this year. He's 239. He's a guy who might not necessarily fit a 425 linebacker role. Tim Walton, same deal. Like a guy who, who might be better served as, like, a, a defensive end. But, like, I also think that that might be a misuse of his talent. So, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm not the coaching staff by any means. But, like, you look at, at this really, really impressive, like, roster of athletes and guys like Tyrell Richards and Juan Wallace and uh, Nenarius Fagan. Like, even Shai Cullen, a guy who's, like, you know, came in. He was, like, seen as a little bit smaller. But he's, like, an absolute weight room animal. Kind of Trotter, too. Like, there's a bunch of these guys. Like, Trotter in particular is a guy like seen as a potential NFL talent down the road and like Wallace could end up being one too. It, it's an interesting and weird problem to have and it's one that I probably don't need to be concerned about right now because things will figure themselves out but like I'm looking at all these guys and, and yeah I guess I'm just down the road wondering where all of them are slotting in. <laughs> yeah it, it's, a, it's an interesting problem. Um, I do think it is one of those that like kind of works itself out but, but the, the overall concern is like if the defense isn't working then you have bigger problems to begin with. And if the defense doesn't work this year, there's a you know a pretty good chance you have a defensive coaching staff change. So that's a, that's another way where it might work itself out. But uh, overall, like you hope that the four two five ends up being the the move, and then I, I think the coaches will will figure something out. Whether it's then trying to blend the two together and, and having more of a, a hybrid system where you can have uh, three linebacker sets, or or you or you just get creative. Um, but overall, like it has to work first, and then then you then you deal with this. Uh, I will say, it's probably easier to to recruit around this problem. Like going forward, if it doesn't work, because then you know, worst case, you have some guys transfer out, and it frees up spots to to add depth to the defensive line and add depth other places where you have them. Because it's not like you're going to run out of linebackers if you have uh, if you're moving to this four two five for the long term. If guys do leave that spot, it does open up like opportunities to add talent elsewhere. Yeah, I definitely agree there. Yeah, so it's something to watch, and, and I'm definitely curious to see how many of these guys see the field this year. Looking ahead now, the defensive backs, I think we start kind of at the nickel corner uh, spot. I think 
you know, Cordy seems like he's got that locked down. Everybody said that he's kind of been more of a linebacker anyway, just in, in, in a defensive back's body. So I'm curious to see him in that role. I think that from everything I've seen about it, when people talk about the 4-2-5, it's one that's based on, it's a defense based on playmaking and frees players up to be able to make plays in space uh, to get more aggressive and attack. So like and attacking in particular is like the biggest plus. Um, so I feel like Cordy, a guy who was like recruited to be this kind of, you know, typical Schaefer safety who picked up those tackles for loss, really got after the the quarterback and got after runners. Like, I feel like this could be a perfect role for him. Um, I'm really excited to see him there. I actually think, and it, I, th- this is based on nothing, but I think if we, if we want to get more guys on the field, uh, just overall, I think switching off Cordy and uh, maybe Dwayne Johnson, the, uh, the Juco transfer who was originally at Virginia Tech, uh, could be an interesting uh, use of both of those players um, since Johnson – you know, his only other way on the field is, is potentially right now, at least, supplanting uh, Scoop, uh, Scoop Bradshaw or Chris Frederick. Yeah, that could be a possibility. Um, I think for people looking for the best analog for what Cordy will be this year, obviously he's not the same level of athlete. But um, if the, the most famous example of basically this player uh, recently was Jabril Peppers at Michigan, who kind of did this exact same thing where he was kind of a do-it-all, uh, nickel safety recover guys, he would go deep. Um, but he played a lot on the line of scrimmage, which I think we'll see from Cordy. And he was just, just kind of like a you know do it all player where you could blitz him, you could drop him back in coverage, you could have him try to wipe away the team's best receiver for a player too, and just to, like use them as as kind of a just a total like havoc weapon where the the opposing offense really doesn't know how to account for him in any given position. So I, I think we've seen Cordy's skill set is very unique for his size, where he does uh, make plays in the backfield and 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 can also ball hawk a bit. So um, I'm very excited to see what they do with this. I think they, they clearly had him in mind for when they made this defensive switch. It wouldn't really work without a player of his talents being the, that kind of key player. So it should be interesting. I, I, I look forward to it. Yeah, I'm definitely excited about it. I think, you know, I, I looked back the other day at his numbers in 2015. And like, you forget how dynamic he was. He had double-digit tackles for loss. Like, he's forced turnovers. He's the type of guy who, like, could be a hell of a lot of fun in this uh, system, so I, I'm I'm really looking forward to that, particularly. Um, but yeah, looking at the corners, like last year, I, I think attention was paid toward the corners getting beat, but a lot of that was because once you you know knocked out the the veteran safeties, um, Cordy first, and then Jordan Martin down the road, like that's where you started seeing you know there's no help up top, so Bradshaw and Frederick were getting beat a little too much, but. Frederick, for, for a bunch of last season, was, I mean, maybe a top 10 corner, maybe a top 15 corner in, in the ACC. And, like, a guy who, who showed an ability to cover really well, was able to blanket some receivers, made some great—I mean, he made some great plays against Miami, um, went across his body, like did, did a whole lot of things against Miami that showed me, like, okay, like, maybe he's not an NFL uh, cornerback, but, but Frederick is a guy who we can really rely on to cover, but he does need that help um, in the back, and I think— you know, we could talk about Frederick and Bradshaw if you want, but then, I mean, th- that help in the back is really going to be the thing that, that, that is, should be most concerning for, for SU fans looking at this defense. Yeah, it's just, like, overall, like, it's, uh, it's always going to be a thing I'm nervous about until I see a Syracuse secondary really be successful, but there were reasons to, to like Frederick's play last year. He was one of the few guys who had some playmaking. Um, that was a huge issue for this defense last year. Like, there was some pass, there was some decent pass, pass rush, but... We just had so few interceptions, so few takeaways overall. 
Frederick had one of them, one of the few picks we had as a team, um, and then also I think was second on the team in pass breakups with four last year. He also forced a fumble. So, so did Eric was... Denji. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yes, which is always what you want under your quarterback is uh, playmaking on defense. So yeah, there was definitely some things to like, especially when you know it's hard to to totally put anything on one player or you know one position, even when there were so many injury issues across the entire back line of the defense. And the, the rest of the defense wasn't good enough to make up for it. So, uh, yeah, I, I think there, there's definitely ability there and uh, reason to be encouraged. But I think we're all going to want to, like, see it first. But I, I think I think both of these first two corners, Frederick and Bradshaw, both had moments where, you, you know, they were impressive in, in, in bites of, you know, individual blocks of time. But, you know, you want to see them put together a full season. Completely. So do you think, based on the early depth chart, do you think Andre Sisko is our starting free safety? Um, one and two. Do you think Evan Foster can hold down that uh, that strong safety spot? Um, I I think Sister will be the starting free safety. I don't think they would have put him there if that wasn't going to be the move for for week one. Like I don't think you put a freshman there on the depth chart for non-injury purposes and then pull him out of there. I think if you're going to make Sister the starting free safety at any point in training camp, like you just he's going to be the guy to start the season until he like really gives up the job. Right. Um, and then. Foster, he has the experience. I think you noted in our preview, like he, uh, his 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 stat line really kind of revealed the problem for Syracuse, which was guys were getting way too far into the defense. Uh, he led the team in tackle, or he was didn't lead the team. But he had 64 tackles last year, which is a lot for a strong safety, especially you know because there are the like one of the last lines of defense. There just a, just a, a big issue, but he does have he does have the most experience in that spot, so I think he will get the shot to start there. I do wonder if uh, if Devin Clark will push him there versus Cisco because he does have kind of more prototypical strong safety size. Yeah, it's fair. I, I think to be honest, like I think because Foster has, has struggled a bit, I think he'll get an opportunity to keep the job to start the season. But then you could see a guy like Clark, maybe Eric Coley, Cam Jonas, like any of those guys. Like their names are going to come up. And to be honest, like one thing, and I don't know if we talked about it here. No, actually, I think I talked about it with uh, Joey Weaver, formerly of uh, from the Rumble Seat, last week, talking about how, like, despite the fact that the defense struggled and despite the speed we, we've been playing at, uh, we've just used, and this is from, like, a Bill Connolly stat, we've just used so few bodies out there. I, I think I'd like to see more of across the board, but especially in the secondary, us just rotating guys in. So, like, if, if we have uncertainty at safety, then fine. Like, let, let's roll with that and let's see what works and, and let's keep, you know, throwing guys in. And if we need to to work with four to five guys, you know, kind of platooning at safety to see what works. I'd much prefer that than keeping, you know, exhausted guys who are struggling out there for extended periods. Yeah, that was one of the most revealing parts of Bill C's uh, Syracuse preview, which came out probably last month. Yeah, I think like it was June. like mid-July. Yeah, it was July 11th. I have it open. Yeah, just like it was, it was very easy to say, oh, the pace of the offense is what's making the defense struggle. And, and I, I get that as an argument. But then he actually, you know, diving into the numbers, that really was not the case. It was more the fact that the guys who were out there were getting very little rest, even though the defense wasn't facing that many snaps. Part of that was that we were giving up long, uh, quick touchdowns. Um, so where the defense might have given up a lot of snaps and gotten itself worn out, it was just getting beat early <laughs> in drives. So that kind of mitigated the amount of snaps it faced. So, um, yeah, I think, I think just playing more guys and having more playable players which comes with the, these, you know, piling these recruiting classes and not having the crazy turnover we've had with recruiting classes in the past. 
is a big part of it, and hopefully that will. I don't think this defense is going to become like great overnight, but hopefully we can see it play closer to what it was in the first half last year for a full season by by you know, a the change in the four two five, playing more to the talent on the team, but also just having more guys available to play at all and play at a decent level. Yeah, I mean, maybe that replicates the, uh, you know, what was one at one point the, the number one third down defense in the country. Um, or maybe it doesn't. I don't really need it to, to be honest. I feel like I'd rather we were top 25 in third down defense all season than, than be, you know, number one for six games and then like number 90 for the last six games. But moving to the last part of the team here and, and an important one nonetheless, uh, special teams. Uh, not a ton changes, admittedly, but we do lose Cole Murphy. I know Murphy was much beleaguered in his junior year, part of his sophomore year, but, you know, last season uh, was very accurate inside of 40. I think Baber still asked a little too much of him. Um, and because, like, as, as we all know, like, a miss isn't just a miss, no matter where it's from. Like, you give your kicker a, a shot at 57 yards, like, and he misses it, that's, sure, maybe he moves right on from it, but, like, maybe he doesn't. And, and if he doesn't, then, like, was it really worth that 57-yard try anyway when he probably wasn't going to make it? Like, I think Plus Mer- the field position issue yeah, where, you, you're, you know, you might as well, unless it's, you know, just crazy down distance. Like, 57, I know Murphy had a leg, and, like, he's hit really long ones before, but the accuracy, I mean, it was just such a, such a low-percentage kick. Like, I hate being that guy, but you might as well pooch-pump that, to be honest. Yeah, and, and we had success with that move, too. Like, I think I'd rather do that, yeah, than, like, have Murphy kill his confidence and, and, and turn over the field like that. But Murphy was pretty good last year. Um, he'll be, you know, succeeded by Sterling Hoffrichter, who also will stay on the punt unit. I think Hoffs is going to have—I I hope Hoff has less work than Murphy did last year, to be honest, and the year before. But I, I do think that, that Baber's going to be keeping a close eye on him at, uh, at kicker. Um, if only because we do have other guys who potentially could be capable there, including Nolan Cooney, the lost Cooney brother, who will also be holding snaps. Um, it also seems, and this is something I mentioned, I think, a couple weeks ago, uh, that Matt Keller is back in action, so he'll be able to go week one, at least from current reports. We won't see, a, in a, we won't see an injury report at all, but we will see a depth chart next week. If he can't go as the long snapper, then Aaron Belinsky uh, we'll get his shot as a uh, as a walk on. Also notable, Sean Riley is once again back there for kicks and punts. Teams just kind of avoided kicking to him in any capacity last season. About halfway through, I hope that he fi- we find a way to get the ball in his hands on special teams, especially kickoffs, though, because I feel like uh, that really helps Syracuse's field position in the early parts of the season when he was able to 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 gain you know even those few more yards as opposed to a touchback and you know punts. I've said it before, I don't really love him in that capacity. Give it to Nikeem Johnson, give it to somebody else. But uh, for now, it, it, it's his job. Yeah, I get putting him back there to start because of the familiarity, but he's just, he's such a revelation as a trick returner, and he just hasn't, he just clearly doesn't have the same feel for the punt return, which, like, to be fair, like, they're very different. I think people, like, play Madden and assume you can just plug in the guy with the best speed into both, and they're both going to be, like, you know, that's the best option, but... Like, they're very different skill sets, and they're very different situations. And, and like, they're, you look at the NFL, oftentimes, the, like, you had a, a dynamic power returner, and he wasn't returning kicks just because it's just a different it's a different ability to break it. So, hopefully, I, I hope we get more creative there and, and 
to find someone who can be a weapon in the punt return because for a couple of years we weren't have, we weren't having any success returning anything. Now we've kind of figured out kits with Riley who people are scared to kick to, and hopefully we can find you know we have so many of these small shifty receivers now that we talked about earlier in this podcast. Like hopefully one of them can be an answer at punt return where we can get something there and not just you know hope for a fair catch and not to you know mess up royally. Yeah, that's fine to me because to be honest, yeah, like Riley can't. Riley needs a head of steam, and, and that's where he's so good on kickoffs. Where he can't get a head of steam is on punt returns. Now, Nikeem Johnson could. I don't really want to use Mo Neal in this capacity, but he's somebody who would be much more effective there. Again, we, we have plenty of other fast guys who, who could. I, I know Cordy is, is the other punt returner on the depth chart. I do not want that in any capacity. But, uh, yeah, we'll see, I guess. No, I, I don't want to see Cordy back there. He's too important for defense. Agreed, agreed. Um, all right, now the moment you've all been waiting for. What do Dan and I see this schedule shaking out like? I was kicking this around today. It's, it, this is, it's tough. This is not a, there are so many, like, quote-unquote coin flip games. We bring it up all the time, but I think it's, it's a really tough one to project. But trudge on, we will. Um, September 1st at Western Michigan. Uh, nope, August, no, August, August 31st. Friday night. My bad. I was, looking at, it, I was looking at an older schedule in print. That, that had not changed the date that we all knew was going to change yet. August 31st, in Kalamazoo, against Tim Lester. I feel like the, after everyone got like super excited about this game and said we we're going to win, then I feel like we've now overcourse corrected the other way. When everyone thinks we're going to lose. So, um. well, and a lot of people I've talked to, like I've, I've, I've now had multiple conversations on the radio and, and elsewhere where like people are now sold on like, oh shit, we're probably going to lose this game. Or having like the Syracuse season, like Sunday Staries, where everyone's like sees the game a couple days away, and you're like, oh god, we're we're gonna mess it up, which is possible. It wouldn't be that crazy. No, I still feel pretty good about it. I think we'll take this one. I think we'll take it. Uh, I think we win by a touchdown. I'm fully prepared for it to be way too close. Yeah. But we also like look back at the, the road game at CMU a few years ago, where we like legitimately people thought we were gonna lose, like, and we went and won by a lot. But then you know there've been plenty of other close close stairs and also like just like last year's mtsu game like legitimately bad losses to these types of teams so i don't know i feel good about it i think i think we just really need it and i think this team is going to be hungry to make a bowl and like there's no making a bowl if you don't win this one so um it's your there's there's much less of a chance of making a bowl anyway it's not like for non-conclusion but um you don't want to lose this one especially because like you know it's one of the the nights where there are fewer games and i remember i think the villanova like really terrifying game was a friday night and it got a lot more attention because of that you I was really watching wanted. in Vancouver on my phone. I was in Columbia, South Carolina, freaking out. I was I was in a like I was on vacation in Vancouver, and I my wife was pissed because the entire time I was like huddled in a corner, like watching the game, terrified, trying to find Wi-Fi in every bar. <laughs> it was uh, it was difficult. I do think to to put a pin in this one. I think that. The Western Michigan offense is going to test this defense for Syracuse, but I think the Western Michigan defense does not have what it takes to stop this offense, and I think that's going to be the difference. No, yeah, I buy that. I think I think we'll learn a lot about this defense uh, in this game. I think they will have the ability to to move the ball. Um, not that I am all that aware of what the, the Leicester offense looks like, although we do remember them testing USC early on last year. Somehow, magically. Um, yeah. But overall, I feel I feel good about the the offense. Really want to make a statement here, and and just having too much talent for this team. So I'll take them. I actually feel a little more comfortable. I think it'll be a, I'd say ten to fourteen point win. 
right. Chalk it up. W. Uh, Wagner. Don't really think we need to talk about this one. Uh, I think we're going to win by... I think if this offense has really come along as much as I hope it has, I think we win this one by 65. I hope DeVito plays at least a full half. I feel like DeVito's only going to play like a quarter and a half. But... I'm oh, just... but I hope the other the other half quarter is Culpepper. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Or Chance Amy. If it's not, you know, DeVito playing a full half, hopefully we could even get, like, a, a slight view of Chance Amy just because we're in a redshirt him anyway. So I'm sure I'm sure Rhett Culpepper wouldn't mind, like, giving up a quarter. But I also wouldn't mind seeing Rhett's either because, like, I think he's earned it considering everything that's gone on this year. But either way, we have a lot of good options to play quarterback and a blowout, and hopefully we have a chance. Yeah, same here. Um... Florida State, a game that people think could be an upset, but we kind of disputed that last week, if only because, like, yeah, the Virginia Tech game and the opener for them is going to tell us a lot, but I think we just don't have the horses to stop Cam Akers, even if the defense improves. Yeah, I, I know a lot of people are pinning this, as, uh, pinning this as an upset. I think we do luck out by getting them early. Um, I just think they're going to have a little too much talent. I think this will be a close game. Um, I'll take Florida State by 10 at the Dome, and I hope to be wrong. Yeah, I, I could I could buy that. Um, I I say Florida State wins by fourteen, but similar similar type game. Connecticut on September twenty second. I've got Syracuse winning this one. I think that this is going to be a much more one sided game than uh, than the last UConn game was down at uh, whatever version of Hartford they're in. The uh, Pause Arf. Pause Arf, but like what was that? Was that West Hartford? I don't even. East East Hartford. East Hartford. See, I, I don't even care. <laughs> West Hartford's where all the ESPN people live, and it's actually like kind of trendy. East Hartford's a large farm. Ah, um, there you go. And slash like a runway. Yeah, I, we just need to beat the hell out of UConn. <laughs> They're not very good. Yeah, that's all I have to say about that. I think I we better handle business here, and this should be this should be the second easiest win of the year. Agreed. Second most comfortable by a decent margin. September 29th at Clemson. Um, oh boy. Big old nope. Um, They're going to want to destroy us, and they probably will. Like, I mean, Dabo's going to come into this game just, just just lathering himself up in disrespect. That there is going to be there are going to be so many dumb, not at all existing narratives that he brings up. And and, and it is going to be the dumbest thing you've ever seen. ESPN's going to eat it up. Yeah, I'm not. This is this is a scary one. Yeah, we're going to lose. That's fine. Yep. <laughs> um, at Pitt, a Pitt team that you and I do not believe in. We don't. And Pitt isn't a great home field advantage, and yet I don't remember. Have we won there recently at all? Oh one. Oh one is the last time we won at Pitt. Oh one is the last time we won at Pitt. Oh god. I'm gonna give us the win at Pitt. I just I just I don't feel this Pitt team at all. They're just very underwhelming. I think this is gonna be an annoyingly close one. I think we'll win by three. Again, we won by three last year. I it's gonna be tough. I'll give it to us just because I feel like I, I we just kinda need it. That's <laughs> to fine. Be honest. Yeah, back get, end, the back end of the schedule is such a, such a minefield. Hopefully we are not too left down by the Thumbs and Dean. Hopefully Babers uh, has some good messages and we go in there and, and pick up a W heading into the bye. Because otherwise, this schedule gets really, really sticky. I just think Babers ends up like pulling everybody at the half against Clemson. Like once it's over, he's just like, screw it. Like let's just... Tommy. <laughs> yeah. Let, let, Tommy, let, no, do your thing. Let's get Tommy in. Let's just regroup. It, it'll be fine. So we're, we're going to beat the fight in buys, obviously. Uh, and then we get a critical game against North Carolina at the Dome. We covered North Carolina on the Coastal Preview a couple weeks ago. 
Uh, I'm iffy on them. I'm iffy on their defense. And, like, I just don't think they necessarily had the experience um, that we have. I think we beat Carolina by, like, four or five. A really dumb score, too. Yeah, I'll do a... It'll be, like, 30... (laughs) It'll be, like, 33 to, like, 29. Like, something stupid. That sounds about right. Their defense is really like was really terrible last year. I imagine it'll get marginally better this year, but overall, I think they're still finding themselves. Even if they're not going to go like three and nine or whatever they went last year again, um, I'm going to give us a win just based on us being at home. But it's like this whole rest of the schedule is, is you could talk me into almost any of these games. You could talk me out of them pretty easily. So I, I'll give us the UNC game at home because these dome games become very very important down the stretch here. Speaking of dome games, yeah, we we are. Speaking of dome games that are important, NC State. I have my doubts. I know you do too with his defense, given the fact that they lost their uh, their front four. I think Ryan Finley leads them to a win because NC State and Syracuse games have just been really like aggravating of late. So I'm going to give yeah, them a win, but I'm not happy about it. That's my that's my feeling as well. I think they're just competent enough where they'll 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 pick one up, and we'll probably shoot ourselves in the foot a couple times. I, I don't think the Sensi State team will be as good this year as it was last year, but I think they will be good enough to pick up this one. So I will. We're still tracking together. I'll, I'll have the loss as well. November third at Wake Forest. Uh, what kind of weather will we experience in this one? Oh, uh, hopefully nothing like 20, uh, 2016. Just good lord. Oof. Um, we also have our doubts on Wake, but I feel like they've got enough here to beat us, if only because like. Syracuse is going to start leaning into the narrative like, oh, crap, now we have to struggle because it's November. And I, I see Wake edging this one out, but it's going to be a much closer game than, than last year's edition and the, and the year before. Yeah, I'm going completely on the fact that we're on the road here and we haven't played super well on the road the last under Babers. Um, Wake, also not a super horrifying road environment, having been to a couple of these games now. But I do think they're well-coached enough and they have enough experience and they're not going to be afraid of us by any means. So... Uh, yeah, I'm going to give it to Wake as well. I think we're just tracking the same way here. <laughs> I feel like at one point you and I like disagreed on things, and I feel like in, in the four-plus years we've been doing this podcast, we've just kind of mind-melted together at this point. Yeah, and I looked. I went through these earlier, so <laughs> I, I, I didn't even these, I'm not even following you here. These I made up my mind on these games around 3 p.m. today. So. Fair. I, I, I've, I've made up my mind on these in like March, and then I've been like altering them as we go. November 9th, Louisville, Friday night, at the Dome, upset. Count it. Yeah, I, I'm, I, that's, that's our sixth win. Uh, Friday night at the Dome, ESPN2, national televised magic. Louisville's not very good. No chance of winning the last I, two games, probably. Be, <laughs> yeah, at that point in the season, it might not even be a huge upset. I, I think Louisville will get, like, I think people will look at it, and I think the betters will probably favor Louisville, but I bet it's not even that big a line. Yeah, I, I got Louisville at 8-4 this year. I bet year. Louisville will be like a two-point favorite by that time. Yeah, I mean, this game reminds me... This game might actually remind me of, like, the 2012 Louisville game. Like, that Louisville team was better, obviously. But, like, where Louisville... They were a lot better. And yeah. we, were, we were also better. <laughs> but, like, no, that's the thing, is that Louisville was better, but, like, we were favored going in. Everybody had us on the upset pick, and then we blew them out. Like, it didn't even surprise anybody. <laughs> That was such a. I was at that game. That was such a fun game. From from basically the moment that we discovered the the infamous Charlie Strong Ryan Nassib cutout <laughs> to the final whistle. What was that game like? Forty. It was like forty five to twenty seven or something. I think it was forty five twenty six. Okay, Teddy Bridgewater like lit us up, but not nearly well enough. No. 
really great, really fun, fun time all around, and made more fun by the fact that that Louisville team went and stopped Florida in the uh, in the Sugar Bowl. In the Sugar Bowl that we should have played in. Oh God! Was it a Sugar? Imagine. Bowl? Was it the Sugar Bowl? Yeah, it was a Sugar Bowl because it was indoors. I remember. Yeah, it was like it wasn't orange, so I was pretty sure it was sugar. Yeah. All right, so that's six. We are six and four with two to play. Um, Notre Dame's hideous uniform should give them an automatic loss, but I think that uh, mobile quarterbacks have just been a problem for us, no matter who's the coach or who's on this defense. I think Brandon Wimbush is just going to plow through us um, in in what could end up being a a bitterly cold day at Yankee Stadium. So I I feel like we're going to lose this one, but not by nearly as much as people think. No, I I kind of agree. It's going to be an ugly game. Yankee Stadium, that field is... It's going to be in bad shape, I'm sure. It's going to be November. It's going to be cold. It's going to be gross. Um, I'm not a huge Wimbush fan, but we, we do get gashed on the ground by mobile quarterbacks. Yeah, I, I think we're going to lose, but I think it'll probably be like a probably like 7 to 10 point. Yeah, I buy that. Point. And then the finale at BC. Um, obviously, like A.J. Dillon and company tore us up last year. I think this year's BC team isn't as good as that team. Uh, was, if only because of a couple absences on the defensive end. I think that while the offensive line is experienced, I think that the fact that they're one-dimensional makes it a little bit easier to game plan against them. They also face a really tough schedule. BC might be playing for their sixth win here, so I feel like they're going to be a little more motivated. I'm going to give the Eagles the win by 10 points. I'm not happy about it, but I think this is going to remind a lot of people of, of the 2010 finale against BC when like SU just didn't just didn't really have it, and BC was just far more motivated in that game. Yeah, again, we struggled on the road. BC has played us well the last couple of years, um, or the last year anyway. I, I think I, I kind of agree with you. I think they're going to be probably fighting for bowl berth, and we will have, based on our scenario here, lucked into it or gotten to it. You know, just we we not lucked into it, but have been lucky enough to get it before things got like really chippy down the stretch here. I think we'll play them a lot tighter than last year because that was an awful, awful game. But I think BC will pick it up and, and get to a bowl as well. So, where do you see Syracuse playing? I've got him in the quick lane bowl. Um, I'm going to be more optimistic just because I don't want I don't want to like put that on our team. I feel like we're not going to be like good enough for the military bowl. I think they'll probably select someone else, although it'll be a nice, easy trip. Um, quick lane probably makes the most sense to be honest, based on us sneaking in at six and six. Yeah, I mean, I think quick lane's likely, but to be honest, like, it depends on who's available for the uh, pinstripe, too. Yeah, I mean, they'll obviously push for us if, if like, there isn't a... Because, like, BC just played there. Notre Dame's going to be they too really good, depend- probably. Pitt, Most likely. We'll see. Pitt was there recently, and we draw better than them. Maybe, like, a Virginia Tech has, like, a uh, down season, and, and they'll look for, like, that as a new team. Yeah, I, I buy or that. Louisville. Yeah, those are possibilities. But, I mean, I think if all things are equal, I think Pinstripe would like to have us again, I'm sure. Um, we've heard that. I mean, even when we were, like, sniffing ball eligibility, like, midway through last year, I think we were already hearing with the Pinstripe stuff. So we're always going to be an option there if we're hovering around that 500 mark. Yeah, I mean, we're not going to be there every year, but I think for us, the quick lane military uh, Pinstripe rotation is most likely until we, like, get out of that 6-7 win range. Finally reach our belt destiny. <laughs> Our Belk Destiny or uh, the Quest for Gasparilla, as it were. Which Where's Gasparilla? That's uh, Shreveport? No, Gasparilla is, was in St. Pete's last year, and now it's been moved to its rightful oh, place in Tampa. Right, okay. I was thinking, what's the Shreveport Bowl? The, uh, the, uh, the Independence Bowl? Yep. 
Ugh. Let's not do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm fine with avoiding that. All right, so Dan and I both think we're headed to uh, to a bowl game, so that's that's positive, and hopefully it uh, it shuts everybody up who's been angrily bitching and moaning about the uh, hypothetical articles that we've been throwing up all week. Yes, because it's not a thing we've been doing for years, now. almost a decade. <laughs> just just messing around and jokes and garbage and people getting angry. Um, you won't get angry during Thursday's episode, well, it, uh, article because it's six and six, but I'm sure someone will find a way. Oh, of course. I mean, how dare you think that this team might only go 500 despite the fact that we've gone four and eight for you know 15 years in a row now? I, I was I was told the other day that the ceiling for this team is eight and four. I uh, I'm stunned. Just... It seemed more like this by the ceiling. I don't think that guy knew what a ceiling was. <laughs> Ceiling's the, ceiling's the roof, Dan. My, yes. <laughs> that was my takeaway. Like, a ceiling is actually, like, a very realistic point to which you may you may reach. Of course. Um, anyway. Maybe he was a giraffe. He, he very well could have been. <laughs> a very optimistic giraffe. A, an optimistic giraffe with, with opposable thumbs. So you can tweet. Anyway. Um, Dan, anything else before we leave? This has been yet another... Uh, fun season preview episode no my computer's about to die so uh we, we really snuck this one in <laughs> perfect anyway the amount of time because i was too lazy to get my my charging cord earlier. <laughs> so on that note that was dan i'm john thank you everybody for listening to troy news and absolute podcast your rate review subscribe on itunes on blog talk and go orange in one week go orange at jared we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Up to 70% off. That's right, at Court Furniture Clearance Center. Get up to 70% off new retail prices and choose from a wide variety of previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. All items are Court certified, guaranteed, and in stock, ready for delivery or to take home today. Make the smart choice and visit one of our five locations in the DMV or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off.